Let's pray together. Since the invitation has gone out, Lord, <clears throat> that those who desire can come and eat and drink, we plead for the awakening of this desire. We can't make anybody love the Bible. We can't make anybody hungry for the Word of God or thirsty. This is your work. And so I pray that you would <clears throat> work now in this room and then with the ripple effect going out from hearing this global perspective and this magnificent summary of your word and my effort to display its worth, let the ripple effect go out in us and through us to create a passion for your word and its infinite worth. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Evangelicals believe, and almost all Christians in history have believed, that since the original writings of, of the Bible in Greek and Hebrew have been faithfully preserved, and since they have been faithfully translated, we hold in our hands the very Word of God. That is a breathtaking reality. It, it can't be overstated how amazing that sentence is. That we hold in our hand the Word of, of God. So let me say it again. Because it's been faithfully preserved and faithfully translated, we hold in our hands a book where God, the ruler of the universe, tells us what he wants us to know. The Bible puts us in touch with God's thoughts about everything that he wants us to think about. The reason we believe in truth is that we believe God exists and has thoughts about everything. Those thoughts of God about everything are the truth. God understands everything perfectly. God understands everything fully. That understanding in the mind of God is the meaning of truth. When God speaks, the truth becomes available, and he's spoken in his word. Therefore, we believe in truth, and we believe truth is accessible. It is his written word. God has created us in his image with minds that can construe meaning. And since we have minds created in the image of God that can construe meaning, therefore we can be communicated with by language and we can communicate by language. And then he created a material and a spiritual universe as the theater of his self-revelation. And in that theater, he has communicated or revealed 
himself through nature, through history, and through his written word. Nature and history are the display of the glories of God. But in that triad, nature, history, and the Bible, the Bible is unique because the Bible is God's one and only infallible authoritative interpretation of what the meaning of nature and history is in relationship to his plan of redemption. It is impossible, therefore, to exaggerate the importance of having the word of God in our own language. Many things about the Bible can be exaggerated, but not its importance. The title of my message is The Infinite Worth of the Word of God. And I chose the word infinite thoughtfully. It's not a rhetorical flourish. It is impossible to exaggerate the worth of the Word of God. You can say false things about the worth of the Word of God, like the Bible is God, or we should worship the Bible. But if you only speak truth about the worth of the Word of God, it cannot be exaggerated. It is infinite. We are celebrating the 400th anniversary of the 1611 publication of the King James version of the Bible. And we're doing it in the context of celebrating the English Standard Version. At least I am because I celebrate these two. I love these two. They're worth celebrating. Feels good to me and right to put them together the way we are doing. And what I want to do in the few minutes that we have together is pay tribute to the providence of God and to the grace of God in the history that brought the ESV into being and then close with reasons why the Bible, God's word, is of infinite value. In the providence of God, William Tyndale is the one man, died in 1536, in the providence and the grace of God, William Tyndale is the one man in history most responsible for the wording of the ESV. And I am personally deeply moved that the words by which God speaks to me today in this are hugely, largely provided by the wording and the diction of a man who 500 years ago had such gifts that his translation was not abandoned through all of its versions for 500 years and whose faith was so strong he felt it worth dying to help me have it. So I am very much celebrating tonight William Tyndale's gift to the church through the King James Version and the English Standard Version. Let me read you David Daniel's comment about William Tyndale in his book. Um, well, this is from his 
biography, which is one of the best I've ever read of anybody. William Tyndale gave us our English Bible. The sages assembled by the King James to prepare the authorized version in 1611, so often praised for their unlikely corporate inspiration, took over Tyndale's work. Nine-tenths of the authorized version's New Testament is Tyndale's. The same is true of the first half of the Old Testament, which was as far as he was able to get before he was executed outside Brussels in 1536. And that's all the more amazing when you realize that Tyndale was still considered in 1611 a heretic, even by some of those who translated the King James Bible because of his love for the gospel. King James did not have a completely pristine origin. It was a very mixed bag on that assembly. And therefore, I rejoice and marvel that the dominance of the King James Version for 400 years in English is owing, almost in spite of itself, to the gift and the, the faith and the labor of a man whose love for the gospel was despised even 75 years after he was martyred. The sheer longevity of the King James Version is without parallel in the history of the English Bible. And David Daniel is right when he says, quote, in the story of the earth we live on, its influence cannot be calculated. When in the 20th century it came time for a new version of the Bible, the group that gathered in the 1930s to produce the Revised Standard Version were divided over how it should be done. James Moffat wanted to revise the American Standard Version of 1901, which had depended on the King James, so that you had a lineage extending from the King James through the American Standard, through the Revised Standard Version to the day. Edgar Goodspeed disagreed and wanted a brand new, completely separate translation from the original with no dependence on a previous Version And I'll read you the frontispiece page of the 1952 Revised Standard Version so you can see which man won. It was Moffat who won, and this is the way it reads. Revised Standard Version, containing Old and New Testaments, translated from the original languages, being the version set forth... A.D. 1611, revised A.D. 1881-1885 and A.D. 1901, compared with the most recent authorities and revised A.D. 1946-1952. That's clear what their design was. They are going to maintain the lineage. So Goodspeed lost, Moffat won, and that's why Tyndale is still being spoken 500 years after his death. 1990, the 
RSV went out of print, and in its place came the NRSV and the influence of the RSV almost vanished because the gender-driven NRSV today is virtually only used by the mainline denominations and that version is going exactly the way they are going, which is tragic. Since some of us love the Revised Standard Version, it's going out of print created a problem. I bought my first Revised Standard Version in 1966. I was a sophomore at Wheaton, and I still have it. And I read it, studied it, memorized it for 45 years. When it went out of print, I could no longer use it as a pew Bible, which I had for years and wished it were in print or something like it. When the ESV was published in 2001, I made the transition immediately to it with deep, deep thankfulness. It is an amazing providence to me that God opened the door for Crossway to obtain the copyright of the defunct RSV and then do for it what it had done for the ASV only did it much better. Which means that the Bible I hold in my hands today is owing now in huge measure to William Tyndale. And let me just give you a taste of what this means so that your wonder and gratitude to God for the man and his gifts and his faith will be as strong as some of ours. Here are just a sampling of phrases that everybody in the world who's literate with the Bible at all knows, and they are precisely, without one syllable's change, what William Tyndale wrote in the 1530s. Let there be light. Am I my brother's keeper? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The signs of the times. He went out and wept bitterly. Speak with tongues of men and of angels. Fight the good fight. Those are identical in the ESV, the RSV, the King James Version, and William Tyndale. We are speaking the words in English of William Tyndale who paid with blood to put these words in our mouths. It, it gives for me a very precious personal sense of debt to this lineage and to the man who, in English, is at the root of it. So it, it, it enables me to shift now, to bump it up from my appreciation to, Tyn, to Tyndale and, and to the King James 
folks and then to the ASV and the RSV and the ESV into my heart and my memory today as I read this book every day of my life without fail and continue because my memory now hardly has to make any changes from 1966. So let me do this as I wrap towards the end. Let me give you very briefly seven reasons why the Bible as God's word is infinitely valuable. It, it's valuable because people paid with their blood for us to have it, but that's not why it's infinitely valuable. People died for other things that are not infinitely valuable. It's infinitely valuable because it's God's and it's made infinitely valuable for these seven reasons and many more, but here they are, and I'll just give, you to, give them to you quickly. Number one, the Bible as the Word of God has infinite worth because it's, it awakens and sustains faith. By grace am I saved through faith. There is no salvation in this room apart from faith, and there's no faith apart from the Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. None of you has any saving faith, except for one reason. This book exists. You would all perish forever without this book. It is infinitely valuable. It awakened your faith. Number two, the Bible is infinitely valuable because by it we receive the Holy Spirit who is infinitely valuable. Listen to this word. Does he, this is Galatians 3, 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, get that now, does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law? What's the answer to that? No! Come on! These are Bible people. Does he, he, does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law? No. Or by hearing with faith? Answer, yes. Hearing what? It didn't just say it comes by faith. This is awesome. Do you want the Holy Spirit? It starts this way and he keeps right now in this room and tonight as you go to bed and as you have any challenges in front of you, if you want fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit, he comes one way. Listen to this parallel. Ephesians 5:18. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now parallel, Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why? Why is it be filled with the Holy Spirit and sing here and be filled with the word and sing here? It's because they're like that. They come together always. There is no other way by which the Holy Spirit comes into the heart of God's people than by the Word coming into the heart of God's people. He flies on the wings of the Word. If you shut the Word, He withdraws. I love the Holy Spirit. My life is totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And He only comes via my drinking the Word of God. Number three. 
The word of God has infinite value because it creates and sustains life. If you're alive tonight, spiritually, you owe it to the Bible. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The words that I spoke to you are spirit and life, Jesus said. These are written that you may have life in his name. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by, say it, every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's how you live. Do you love life? You should love life. First Peter says that those who love life, if you love life, you will love the gift of the word. Number four, the word of God is infinitely valuable because it gives hope. Listen to this amazing statement about the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever thought about the Old Testament this way. Every single word in the Old Testament. Listen to what Paul says about it, Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in former days was written that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We have not begun to discover all the ways the Bible can give us hope. We grumble, I grumble, because the three or four tried and proven ways that the Bible has to give me hope don't show up when I want them. Not thinking there are thousands more ways God means to make me hopeful from this, this part of my Bible. Every word, and how much more than this part, so I'm closing the book and saying every single word in this book properly understood in its context has this purpose to make you hope filled. It's really precious. Number five, the word of God leads us with infinite value to freedom. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free Sanctify them in the truth. My word is truth. You want to be free? I love freedom. I love freedom. You know what freedom is? Doing what you want to do and being unregretful in a thousand years. That's what I want. There's only one way to be free. To do what you want to do and that's want what you ought to do. And there's only way to want what you ought to do and that's be changed. And how do you get changed? By this book. It sets you free. Oh, the freedom of being so different that you love the right and therefore always do what you want to do. Man, I want to be free. I hate duty. Duty's good. Got to do duty. Because I'm a fallen sinner and don't love the right many times. But I don't want it that way. I don't expect to do duty in heaven at all. Total hedonism in heaven. 
I should pause here and preach on this because there's a lot of you don't believe that. I was interacting with the guy on email the other day who doesn't believe that. He defines virtue as not pursuing your pleasure. If you pursue your pleasure, I'm starting to preach. I quit. I'm stopping right there. You get the message. Read the book. It's all I ever say. Every book. Read one Piper book. You've read them all. Sorry, Lane. Didn't mean to hurt any sales or anything. Did that, was that five? That, one more to go. No, two. Sorry. Number six. The Bible is of infinite value because by it alone can we defeat the devil. The devil is real, folks, and he is very powerful. You don't have a, a snowflake's chance in hell to defeat the devil. None. You are so weak. This man, this God, this thing is mighty. One little word will fail him. And only, it won't be your word, I promise you. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he quoted Bible to the devil. And if you think you can do better, tell me about it. Because I fight this being all the time. He hates pastors. He hates their families. He hates their houses. He hates the Bible. He hates you tonight. And he's omnipotent almost under God. You don't have a chance. Except, I write to you, young men, because the word of God is in you, and you have overcome the evil one. How did they do that? The word of God is in you. So, if you value knocking this devil down day after day and triumphing in your life, you're going to love this book. This is going to be infinitely precious to you. And I close with number seven. The Word of God is infinitely valuable because it is the source of full and lasting joy. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. Everything he does, he prospers. His delight is there. It ought to be there. He should pursue it there. He should get up in the morning like George Mueller and say, I won't leave this book until I'm happy in Jesus. Because I can't be of any use to anybody any other way. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And I close with Jesus' words. I speak these things to you 
so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Now just take 60 more seconds and let that sink in. Jesus is an infinite being, the Son of God, and he referred in that sentence to his joy. The apex of the joy of Jesus is the joy he has in his Father. His Father is an infinite being. When an infinite being rejoices appropriately in an infinite being, it is an infinite joy. And he said, I am saying these things so that that will be in you. You can't exaggerate the magnificence of that sentence. You can't. The joy that the Son has in the Father will be your joy in the Son and the Father. So that if tonight you are aching that you're a broken emotional person and know that you should have that and rarely rise to one millionth of it, take heart. A millionth is enough for now. The seed is there. You will be fixed. You will be made whole. He said so. And part of that wholeness is you will have the capacity to delight in the Son and the Father with the very joy that the Son has in the Father and the Father has in the Son. That will be our redemption. This is an infinitely valuable book. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have scraped the surface of the worth of your word. Now by your spirit, take it down. Just make us all so hungry. Give us a taste for spiritual things and set us to studying it, teaching it, and doing it. For the glory of your name and the good of this hurting world, I pray in Jesus' name.